0: Colossians 2, 6 through 15, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this fellowship. And we just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say today. Speak through Ryan and Lord, transform us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: We're continuing in our series that we've called New, that's a walk through the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians talks about a lot of things, but it's all about Jesus, the whole thing is. Every, you're saying every sermon is about Jesus, that's because every word in this book is about Jesus. And, and as we're looking at it, uh, kind of one of the, the, the linchpin pieces of everything that Paul writes to this church in Colossians is found uh, in what I'm going to preach on this morning. It's this idea that we're united to Christ, and Christ is in us, and we're filled in him, and and that everything that he came for, everything that he did, everything that he accomplished, all the resources that he provides are for us, to live in us, to help us, to equip us, to walk in this world with joy and peace beyond understanding. Now, Now, here's the deal about this. It sounds great. The the problem is is it's hard for us to get our minds around, and it's it's even more difficult for us to get our hearts around. And I'm and I'm not sure why, um, if I'm honest with you. I struggle probably more with this than anybody in the room. Like I I you know in my struggle with sin and my flesh, I I think man, I know theologically that Jesus is for me, that He's given me power, but why do I not experience it? Why do I not believe it in those? Moments. I I thought a a helpful illustration uh, would be this. Let's just imagine that you and I and everybody in this room and everybody that's a part of New City is awarded a flight. A flight to go on a vacation. And let's just say, because I want to go there, we're going to the Great Barrier Reef in Northern Australia, okay? We're going to go scuba diving and snorkeling. I don't care if you don't like it or not, we're going there. So we get this chartered plane. It's got New City logo on the side of it, tickets are paid for. We all get, we all fight our way down Super Bowl weekend uh, to uh, the Atlanta International Terminal. We get there, and uh, we're at the gate, all checked in, ready to roll. You're sitting by your buddy. You're you're getting ready to sit by your buddy on the plane. And we get to the gate, and we get ready to walk on. We hand the flight attendant our pass. And then then when we're standing there, let me ask you this question. What would be the best way to get to northern Australia so that we could go snorkeling, or you all could go snorkeling with me? Well, what would be the best way to get there? Would it be to ride on top of the plane? No. Would it be to ride underneath the plane? Or how about behind the plane? No. In the plane is how we are going scuba diving at the Great Barrier Reef in northern Australia. Now, here's the issue. Uh, just like we would need to be in the plane to get to the reef, we've got to be in Christ to experience anything that we've, re- we've read and we've studied in the book of Colossians. We can act like we know Jesus all day long from the outside, but it's only from the inside that we really experience what it means to be Christian, and that's these two words that Paul uses over and over and over, in Christ. Say that with me, in Christ, yes, absolutely, in Christ. So, so the big idea of where we're going today is this, we are new because we're one with Jesus. Now let me draw your attention to the just the main passage that we're going to look at today out of these 9 or 10 verses, uh, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, I'm going to remind us of what it says, Colossians 2, 9 says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you, Colossians, Sidians, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You need to underline that in your Bible or your electronic device. You have been filled in him. Now, the problems that surface in this church in Colossae and in my heart is the same issue. It's it's that I wish I could say I believed this more. Because every single struggle, every single sin that you battle with in your heart is related to disbelief of this doctrine. Let me say that again, every single thing that you struggle with, everything that gives you doubt, that that makes your heart anxious, that that fills your mind with frustration, all the question marks you have all come down to a disbelief in this doctrine that we're united to Christ and Christ fully lives in us. Now, I've had such a difficult time believing this doctrine that, that when I first moved to Atlanta, Uh, Almost seven years ago now, there's this friend of mine, Jeff, he's preached here a couple times, and uh, he said across from me, I kid you not, for a year, every single week we would get together for an hour and a half or two hours, and he would remind me of this truth. You have a Father in heaven who sent his Son so that you might know his love. You are loved by God and filled with Jesus. You're one with him. And it was like every week I'd be like, okay, yeah, Jeff, that's fine. Then there was just this one day where I just I just broke. I just broke because I didn't really believe that God loved me. I didn't really believe that God lived in me. I didn't really believe that I was one with Him. I believed that I was, you know, that I that I was for Him and He was for me in certain areas of my life, but not the whole thing. But what Paul is saying is that we get the whole thing. He fills us. How much room is there for anything else if you're filled with Jesus? That's what He wants to do in our lives. I love what John. Calvin says in his work, Institutes, he says this, First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, we and we are separated from him, from him all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race, get this, remains useless and of no value to us. Therefore, we had, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. So it doesn't matter if you know all the stories It doesn't matter if you can recite the gospel. You can can tell it backwards and forwards. It doesn't matter how many times you serve in the church. It doesn't matter how much money you give away. If that knowledge is not inside of you, it is useless. So what what God has done is he's he's filled us with himself. So Paul says, so the question is, how do we get, how do we live more in this, this idea that he's filled us with himself? Let's go back to Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says this, Therefore, as, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, he's, he's telling them to look back, as you received, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So I want to make two big points about this walking in Christ, living in Christ, being one with Christ. It's this, We've got to remember our union in Christ we've got to walk in our union with Christ. So let's, let's dig into remembering our union with Christ. So, so just like this church plant 2,000 years ago, we tend to forget this reality, this truth that, that Jesus came to not just be observed by us as a good teacher, to not just be studied by us as a good student, but to, be, to dwell inside of us, but in order to grab this idea we've got to look at this idea of what does the fullness of deity dwelling bodily even mean? What is the fullness of deity? What a, what a grand phrase to, to, to say. So I want, I want to help remind you of that. So there's, I'm going to walk through something that we put together this week that if you're like me, sometimes images help me grab onto these truths. So it's on your bulletin if you've got one of those. or It'll also be up on the screen. Uh, Brandon made this uh, for us this week to, to kind of help illustrate what the fullness of deity is and what it means uh, for us. So the fullness of deity, God is is one, but he exists in three persons. Let me just quickly walk through the three persons of who God is. First, he is the Father. Think about this. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, here's the first thing he says. Pray then, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, be your name the first thing that he wants us to know and remember as we approach god is that he is our father do you hear the language of the community that we have that we have a father i don't know what your relationship with your earthly father is like but i can guarantee you this your heavenly father undoes all of the brokenness that exists with your earthly father He's far better than that. Now I know that we look at the lens of our heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly Father, and even the best fathers blow it. Okay, <laughs> even the my kids are going to be in counseling for some things. All right, it's just going to happen, and I'm trying really hard. Uh, we have a Father in heaven. He made us. He loves us. He knows us. We have a Father. We don't have to pretend. We can be ourselves because we have a Father who's sovereign over all. Now, now this Father, because He loved you and me and all of His creation, the cosmos, so much, in John chapter 3, the Scriptures say that because we have this Father in heaven and, and we are these people that have sinned and severed our relationship with our Father in heaven, that He so loved us that He sent His Son, that He sent Himself for us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus who we've been talking about, is the image of the invisible God. He's, the, he's, he's the, Hebrews 1-3 would say he's the exact imprint of his nature. He sent himself in bodily form down here so that we could know that we have a Father and that we're loved by him. Amen? He did that. and So even though Jesus has been with the Father, that, that he was with the Father when he made everything, That he's even shown up in different ways throughout the Old Testament in these things that we would call theophanies, where there's this mysterious appearances of of, of God. The Father sent his Son to deal with our brokenness because of his great love for us. And, And Jesus submits perfectly to the justice of his Father, because his Father's perfect. He can't just sweep our sin under the rug, he has to deal with it. And so he sends his son to be the object of all of his wrath against sin. And that's where we get to the cross. So Jesus came for one person, purpose, to go to the cross. That's why he came. The whole reason Jesus came was not just to live a, a, a good life to be a model for us. It was to go to, to bear the cross of Calvary, which is the punishment that we've earned for sin. But, but as Jesus is, is dying and he's getting ready to ascend and go to the Father because he's going to be crucified As he's going back, uh, as he's going to die here, he he reminds them that, because they're really grieving this idea that Jesus is leaving. I mean, could you imagine walking literally with God? You're walking with him. You're watching him work with his hands. He's building things. You're eating meals with God. And then all of a sudden, he leaves. Could you imagine the doubt that would exist in your heart? And this is why the disciples when when Jesus dies on the cross, and he's not yet ascended, but he's, 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 it's, it's those 40 days that he's making these appearances. In those moments, they, they find themselves holed up and doubting. Well, he made a promise that they didn't really get in the moment. And it, and it was this, John 16, 14, that he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now we see the third person of this triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes with this singular focus that his person is to shine a spotlight on Jesus and make him known in our hearts. It's the whole reason why he comes. And, and listen, we, we undermine the person and work of the Holy Spirit so often. We, we take his work and try to claim that it's ours. We, we say, oh, look, look, didn't I understand this, this verse? Didn't, didn't I really grab something out of this? Did you hear what I taught there? It's all the work of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. You being able, this, this scripture this morning resonating in your heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit. He's come to shine the spotlight on Jesus. Now, if we were in a thea- theatrical production, you would notice the person on stage, but you wouldn't notice the guy running the spotlight, right? That's because the Holy Spirit is, is like the humility of God. He is, he is, he's not noticed, he's not seen, but he is declaring the work of Jesus to us. John 14, 26 would say this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes all that we need, all the resources we need to be one with the Father, to, to feel and know and to be filled with the love of God. And the Spirit applies that work to us. This is the fullness of deity dwelling bodily, Jesus. And get this, He's come to live inside of you. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. In whom you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of our salvation, and then you believed it, you were sealed with this promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes as the seal to pour, Romans 5.5 5 would say this, to pour the love of the Father into our hearts. We are united to Him through faith. Jesus came to you through the Spirit. You didn't come to Him. You may have had this experience where you responded to him, but he made your heart alive before you ever realized it, before you ever noticed it. He came to dwell in us. So my question to you as we think about this is, how does this verse sound now? Let me remind you of it, the fullness of deity. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, Mike, you, Patrick, You, Phil, you, Megan, have been filled in him. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God lives in us, who can stand against us? This is the whole fullness of deity dwelling bodily. Now, the question is how do we get that inside of us? We get it through faith. We get it through faith, we get it through belief. And the personal work of Jesus, and that work is applied to us, and it lives inside of us. So in those moments when you and I are not living out this idea that we're united to Jesus, it's, it's that we lack faith in those moments. We lack the faith that God is who he says he is, and that he's done what he said he was going to do. What is in front of us seems more real than what is said to us in the Scriptures. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I find myself like Jesus and his disciples. Do you remember that time, if you're familiar with the story, where Jesus and his disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee? And Jesus was in the boat with them, and, uh, and the, the, the 12 are in the boat, and, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee um, to, to, go, to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden, a storm comes up on the sea, and, uh, and it's, it's absolutely terrifying that the waves are kind of crashing over the side of the boat. And, and keep in mind, Jesus is with them. He's, he's in the boat with them. And, and, um, and the storm doesn't really wake Jesus up. You know, he's sleeping like a baby through. He's got a little cushion up there. I mean, he's, he's good. He's good. Some of you are sound sleepers. You can relate. Now, he's, he's good. Now, now, the disciples, they start crying out, Jesus, where are you? Help us. Save us, Jesus. That's what wakes him up. Jesus knows this about us, church. He knows that we are threatened by circumstances that seem more real than our union with him. And guess what? He hears our request, just like he did that day on the Sea of Galilee. He hears when we cry out to him, and he wants to give more and more of himself to us through our awareness of what he's done for us, to increase our faith. Because when our faith increases, our union with Christ seems more sure, it seems more solid when we have a greater awareness of what he's done for us through faith. So this is what he's done for us. Now what would your life look like this week if you really believed, if we really believed with all of our hearts and our souls that we were filled with the fullness of deity living inside of our hearts? Let me just give you a little snapshot. We probably have a little more contentment uh, than we do. we probably less striving, less grasping. We'd have this peace um, that couldn't be shaken regardless of the phone call or the email that we get tomorrow morning. We'd have this fulfillment that, that we weren't looking for something else to fulfill our lives, that next thing, whatever it is. There'd be a type of satisfaction on the inside that, that doesn't come from anything else that God's created. No matter what the narrative around us is saying, those, those things would be resonating in our hearts. So, what's the work that we got to do? What's the work? Well, God gives the gift of faith. We see that. We have to ask for it, though. We've got to remember our union in Christ, and that it means what it means is that we must constantly reframe. Every narrative around us that threatens that union with Christ. So what is it in your life this week, today, that is driving a wedge in you, between you and Jesus? What is it that is, that is causing you to doubt the words of truth which say that Jesus, you've been filled with Jesus? Where do you feel empty? Where is it that you would say, yeah, Jesus, I don't really, I mean, I'm, I know I'm reading this, but I still, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not there on that. What we've got to do is we've got to reframe whatever that narrative is, whatever that that lie is. We've got to reframe it to conform to the truth of God's word. Because what happens when we don't believe that we've been filled, that we feel empty, that there's this wedge in between us, is we're letting that circumstance or that situation uh, reframe what we believe about union with Christ. So he says you've got to flip-flop this thing, that it's really about Jesus reframing everything else, reality in your life. It's not about reality reframing Jesus. It's it's a matter of what comes first in your heart, what comes first in your life, in your affections. We've got to take it to Jesus because he's resourced us so well. So, So that's going to look different for each of us. But the feelings of emptiness, of dissatisfaction, of unfulfillment, of, of isolation, those are the indicators. Those are the indicators of where you're believing a different narrative. That's gonna be different. So as you as you think about that this week, I want you to think about how to reframe that with the truth that if you have faith, if you've believed in Jesus and his work and what he's done for sinners, then that is now your privilege because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit to reframe the rest of your world and to, to be in line with that truth. Secondly, We've got to walk in this union with Christ. We've got to do the work to reframe, to, to constantly reframe our lives around the truth of our union with Christ. We've got to walk in this union as well. Remember and walk because Jesus has resourced us so well to live in this life. Listen, uh, so, so two things I want to say with these following scriptures here. Uh, one, he gives us power over our thoughts. And two, he gives us triumph over death. So let's look at this idea of power over thoughts. So let me read Colossians 2 eight through 10. He says this, see to it that no one takes you captive. See, the church in Colossae, they were believing these false teachers that had crept in. But here's the deal. We, we've said that we all have false teachings around us. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But, but really, it's just this idea of captivity, whatever it is. Captivity is, is that you've been plundered by some other idea, thought, or experience, that that is now your reality. You're in captivity. You are held hostage by whatever it is. So you can kind of fill in the blank. For the Colossians, it was philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That was kind of what they, that was their blank. For you, your blank might be a little different. To to fill in the blank of where you are prone to captivity. And the interesting thing is is that he sees, see to it that no one takes you captive by blank. And then the, the second part of that sentence is, and not according to Christ. So you've got this responsibility to see to it, to own whatever that thought is, and then make it, as we're going to look at, obedient to Christ. You've got to take it to Jesus. It's got to conform to Jesus, not you to whatever it is. See to it. So if something surfaces that forces you to base your life on anything other than Jesus and its work, it is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, it's subtle when it happens to us, but it's, it's, that, it's that feeling we get when we think our, our company's downsizing and, and we might be the next one to get the ax. It's that, it's that feeling that you get when you've, you've just come off of a difficult conversation with your spouse. And you think, gosh, what's what's our marriage? What's happening? It's that situation that comes up whenever you have your kid says something you they wish you wish you didn't know. You know they, they t- they're brutally honest to you about something. You think, what is happening with my family? You know, those moments that cause you to doubt. And and, and there are, there are these other instances for us where we manufacture this happiness. This contentment outside of Christ. We bring something from the outside and we try to make it fill us. Things like a dependency on a substance, whether it be alcohol or some type of drug, whether it be a, a codependent relationship, without this person helping me along in life, walking alongside of me in every single moment of my life, I can't do it. It could be, you know, an ad- frankly, an addiction to, to social media or something like that. Like you just, you just see, like, man, I'm just on my phone, like, 10 hours a day. like I I can't wake up without this thing. All all of those things are are feeding this desire to be one with God. They're, they're, They're filling something inside of us. So the question is, where are you prone to captivity? Because what I'm realizing is that we all need breakthrough in our lives. We all have these places these, these mountains, this has been a theme for our, our staff team, our elder team, and, and Megan and I, we all have these mountains that we need to be moved in our life. Mountains that, uh, you know, when you think about a mountain, it's, it's something that is substantial. It's something large, and it can't be moved. We all have these things in our life, these, these sinful maybe tendencies, these these illnesses, these relationships that just seem to not be going anywhere. We just feel stuck. We all have these mountains. We all have these, need, these desires to have a breakthrough. And, and, and Jesus says that our union with Christ is absolutely the answer to whatever it is. It's our union with Christ. These passages tell us that Jesus reigns not only over our actions, but also our minds. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5. This is kind of the follow-up of see to it that blank doesn't take you captive uh, and, and, and make it, you know, um, make, make your thoughts obedient to Christ. This is where we get this idea from 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Like for the disciples on the boat, the storm was not their enemy. It revealed what they needed in their life. Like Like, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the relationship is, whatever the addiction or the the mountain in your life is, it's, it's not actually the issue. I know it may seem like your issue. It may seem like the big, if this was just handled in my life, then everything would be better. I promise you there's going to be another one that comes, whatever it is. He says, this is not the issue. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh. It's not what we can see, taste, and touch. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, to destroy strongholds, stronghold, a mountain. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against what? The knowledge of God. And we do this by taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So what you see in the way Paul writes is he, Jesus has come to take us from captivity. We have no control. We have no power. There are mountains in our lives, and, and, and there's really not a lot of hope to actually giving us the keys saying, now you can take things captive. Those things that used to own you, you, know, you now have power to take captive in your life through the work of the Spirit. You can make those obedient to Christ. If it's drawing you out of union with Jesus, it, has, it shouldn't have any power in your life. Now, again, I struggle with this more than anybody in the room. So it's this journey that we're on. But the reality for us is that if we're united to Christ, we have that type of power if we'll just tap into it. To make every thought, take it and make it captive to obey Christ. Every teaching, every diction, every stronghold is now held against this standard. Now, so, so how do we do that? I, I, I was um, in a training with our staff team. We were, we were uh, looking at this, this, this personality thing called the Enneagram together. And we had a guy come in and, and help us. Walk through it. It's a very helpful tool. There are lots of helpful tools out there. This is a helpful one. And um, one of the things that he said that really stuck with me had nothing to do, actually, with the Enneagram. It had more to do with this idea of taking thoughts captive. And the way that he described it was, he says, imagine that the, 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 the things that want to, to take you captive are, maybe, maybe it's, a tr- imagine yourself at a train station, okay? The train comes in, and the question is, are you going to get on the train, or are you going to stay off the train? Every time that your thoughts take you captive, every time that those substances take you captive, you are choosing to hop on the train. And you don't have a lot of control of where the train's going because you're, you've been taken captive. But what you have power to do in Christ is you, can, you now have power to not get on the train. You can go to the station and watch the train go by. So that's been really helpful for me, just practically speaking, as I think about this idea of, of making, taking my thoughts and making them captive. To obey Christ. Secondly, Paul talks about this idea that we have triumph over death. Let me read uh, verses 13 through 15 for you. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, all of our sins. He did this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he set aside nailing it to the cross. and doing this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and them. So, so in these passages, what Paul's really getting at is this idea that we now have power as Christians to put away the body of flesh. So, so that means the, the, the flesh is how the enemy tends to work inside of us when we, we were enticed by something and then we say yes to it instead of resisting it. You know, the, the whole Romans 7 thing where Paul says, I do the things I hate to do um, and I don't do the things I want to do, the thing that you and I can like relate, they're like the most relatable verses in the Bible, right? <laughs> he says, now you, you can have power over the flesh to, to put away the body of flesh. So, so in other words, to actually change, actually stop the, the, the sinful patterns, not, that's not something that, that you can do on your own, but Christ in you does. And, and so, so um, we can put it away So because we have these resources in Jesus. And, and the way that he explains this is, is he talks about this idea of circumcision and baptism. And I, I want to I dig into this a little bit today because I don't think that these are, I don't think we make the jump naturally. It was really natural for Paul. And, and the reason is, is because Paul is thinking through this idea of a covenant relationship with God. So let me just define what what, what, the, what, what the scriptures would, would say is the, kind of the overarching covenant of the Bible. It's, 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 the, it's the promise from God that we, keep, we we see that keeps showing up from Genesis literally all the way to Revelation. It keeps showing up, maybe not in these exact same words, but the idea of it over and over and over again. And it's this. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. It's this promise, this promise. This covenant that describes a relationship between us and God. Now, the key of this promise is is who who does it depend on? God. I will be your God. I'm going to do what needs to be done to have a relationship with you. And you will be my people. You won't be able to resist this grace that I'm going to to show to you and give to you if you're truly mine. He's saying, if you are mine, the curse will eventually be undone. You will not die. Satan will not finally be triumphant, even though it seems like he is. I will handle death because death is the end of the curse, right? That's what happened whenever we disobeyed in the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden and we, we, we feel these implications, they've been imputed to us as well, that because we have not lived up to the, 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 the agreement that if we obey, we live if we disobey, we die. That, that's really the end of it. So, so Paul's saying, "Hey, let me let's just jump straight to the chaser. Let's get to the end of this thing." Um, and it's this idea of a covenant, a relationship with God. And so, so he he as he's bringing this up, he brings up two administrations of this covenant. Um, that, that we'll just say, you know, he says circumcision and baptism, and he talks about them in the same breath, like they're very similar things. So let, let me just. Uh, Let me just maybe throw a definition out. Circumcision is a sign and seal of God's promise, and I'll I'll give you that language in a second from Romans 4. It's a sign and seal of God's promise with his people under the older covenant before Jesus comes. So think about it like this. It's this physical sign that was given when he first made this promise to Abraham. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Now, this is our history as a church, okay? We're not just New Testament Christians, okay? If anybody tells you they're a New Testament Christian, they're not reading the Bible, because we are we are biblical Christians the whole story is our story Galatians 3:29 if you are Christ you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise that, that's the story of the scriptures okay he says so circumcision is this the sign that was given to Abraham and 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 you know I'm not going to like pull a diagram up or youtube it or anything but um uh <laughs> it was this um is this bloody sign that was given and, and what it represented was that the shedding of blood would be required for the forgiveness of sins. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews would, would echo that um, in, in, I think, Hebrews chapter 9. So it was this, it was this sign that, that, that your flesh will have to be cut away because you're unclean. And there's no way that you can be forgiven unless blood is shed. There's no way you can be made perfect, and so in the, in the Older Testament, what do we see? We see the Levitical s- sacrificial system, where, where animals are sacrificed so that forgiveness can be had. Now, when we, when we fast forward to baptism, which, which Jesus uh, requires for Christians to be, be baptized in Matthew chapter 28, it's this sign and seal of God's promise with his people under the newer covenant. Now, it also deals with death, with our need to be rescued, Right? It deals with that, but it deals with it in a different way. In Colossians 2, he says, you've been buried with him in baptism. So what did Jesus do? He came to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and raise from the dead. So what he's saying is that ultimately, your sin, if you are united with Christ, is dealt with. The sin that you can't remember, the sin that you can't forget, he can't remember, he's buried it. So by faith, he buries our sin. He buries everything that has kept us from God. The curse itself, he's buried it all. And the power of our flesh is buried in his triumph. Now, but notice something different about this sign that he's given us, about this overarching promise he's made. Is it a bloody sign? No. Why is it not a bloody sign? Because his blood has spoken the final word, as the writer of Hebrews would say. It's finished, Jesus himself would say. And so now we're baptized, and what it represents to us is our need to be cleansed. So baptism is not just, not just this thing that, that you do in a church service. It's this, it's this, it's this sign, sure, but it's also a seal that, that you have been cleansed, you are being cleansed, and you finally and fully will be cleansed when Jesus Christ returns. That's the promise for us, and we declare it publicly because Jesus commands it. He deals with death. Listen listen to Romans chapter 4 in in the way that he, Paul talks about it here. He he says this, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, that's like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, okay? It's God's work on Abraham's behalf. He believed the promise, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And, and God gave him faith. He gave him faith that endured. And that's why our that's why faith kind of traces back to Abraham now, because he put that faith inside of him. And then he goes on to say, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Was it the circumcision that saved him? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal there's that language of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So this language of sign and seal, I'll just quickly unpack it. A sign signifies what must happen for us to be made new. It's, it's a physical thing that we participate in. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament. You've got to be cleansed. Somebody's got to die for your sin and he's already done it. That's what we're saying when we baptize someone. Through faith, you're united to Christ. Your old life is gone. You're cleansed. You're whole. You're new. You're with Jesus. Our sin is a problem, and God has a solution. He'll rescue us. And it's a seal because it indicates what we long for God to do finally and fully. God, we we beg you to authenticate this sign. We beg you to finally and fully cleanse us. Because here's the deal. Circumcision, not one day ever saved anyone. But it's the God that told them to be circumcised that would save them. Baptism not one day ever will save anyone. But it's what it indicates via the Holy Spirit. We cannot get to God. He has to come to us. And so as we think about this, I, w- I want to read that passage to you again and just let the words wash over you as you think about the history of God's people and his promise to come and deal with death. Colossians 2:11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and which you also were raised with him through faith. And the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. What God is after in us is our hearts. He knows we're physical beings. We have these physical things. This is why we we receive the Lord's table every day. He knows that we need to see, taste, and touch things. And He works miraculously through the sacraments of the Lord's table and baptism. But it's all about His Spirit working in us. Lastly, He just kind of closes it up with this idea of triumph over death. And I just... I want to read you the, 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 the last few verses here as we, as we close. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him." Now listen to how He did that. He forgave us all of our trespasses. This is what He does when we become believers. And He does this not by just wiping them away, but He, but he cancels them through His sacrifice that He gives on our behalf. And that that cancels the record of debt that stands against us. So how many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you feel at a deficit already? You you just know, man, it's going to be a tough day. I just can't get through this. I've got, I feel guilt and shame because of the things that I've done in my life. He's saying that Jesus has come to deal with those things. He's come to cancel them. And he does this through nailing them to the cross. So, our sin stays on the cross. Jesus doesn't. You see the picture? He lives inside of us. And because of that, we experience this word triumph. It's a word that seems so distant from our day to day life, doesn't it? Triumph. It's a, room that, it's a word that doesn't give room for the doubt that, that we might not win. You ever have those moments where you say, Is this really true? did Jesus really raise? Does he really know? Does he really live? And do you ever have those moments? The word triumph doesn't give room for the possibility that it might not be true. Because that's what happens when, when Jesus rose from the dead. He put away all of our doubt. So my question to you as we close here is this. Do you need an awakening of this grace today? Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you just don't feel like he's filling your life. Do you need to be revived? That word means to live again. Do you need to be reanimated to these truths that are so central to who we are? Maybe it's the first time you're really hearing this and you've got to respond to it. You've got to respond in faith or you respond with rejection of it. Those are the two ways to respond to it. What will you do with the claim that Jesus has come to give us triumph over death in this life. Will you be united to Jesus or will you stay in captivity because triumph in Him is yours if Jesus is yours? Let's pray. Father, I thank You uh, for Your Word. It's it's richness, it's it's depth that, that challenges us, God. It stretches our minds and our hearts. It makes us think. It reveals us, it, it exposes us to our tendencies and our nature. And, Lord, we just, we just pray that, that, uh, that you would knit us to you. Lord, I pray also for those in the room that they would say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still, Jesus is still outside of me right now. But I pray by faith that they would, they'd come to you and they'd receive you today. We thank you for this word, and and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.